Hello lacrosse fans, episode 36. Today we're talking with Mike Armstrong. Mike has a wealth of knowledge and represents many different parts of our game. He's involved in club lacrosse, he coaches the England Under-21s team, he's the head of lacrosse at the University of Nottingham, and in his spare time, I believe he also sits on a few steering groups. But before we talk with Mike, thanks to the show's Patreon supporters. We've got some new members to the club, so special thanks if you've recently signed up. On Patreon, you not only get early access, but you get full, unedited episodes. Regular release, they get chopped down to about an hour, but whatever the guests produce goes straight onto Patreon completely unedited. Sometimes it's an extra 30 minutes, sometimes it's an extra 45. You also get a bonus episode between each regular release. If you want to show your support for the show, head over to Patreon where you can give as little or as much as you like to offset the running cost of the show. Right, let's get on with it. Episode 36, Mike Armstrong. How you been? Been busy, mate. It's uh, like, it's one of those, the club season's kind of come to an end, obviously. Flags uh, was this weekend just been, but uni season finished kind of like, it felt like a month ago. Yep. Um, and then there's been a couple of like international weekends in between. So it's it's kind of like everything's kind of ended, but then it's almost like been dragged out a little bit as well. Um and it's kind of felt a little bit dragged out, if I'm being honest. Like, obviously, weekend was amazing, but at the same time, kind of the day-to-day stuff, you know, of me kind of doing being really busy, is, um, it's just also like taking a breather. Like, literally, it's been non-stop since September. It's first yeah. kind of year with it being um, full books year for myself out, outside of COVID. So just kind of getting a, a feel of what that, you know, uh, well, Sunday to Sunday to Sunday looks like, and it you yeah. know it's uh, you know nice trips up to Edinburgh and uh, you know all all that good stuff, and obviously been training as well. So, like you know, coach on a Monday evening, drive up to Manchester on a, on a Monday night, um, train on a Tuesday, head back down for a game on Wednesday. It's been uh, yeah, it's, it's good. Like when you're in the rhythm of it, it's great, but. Um, yeah, it takes like it's nice to be out of it, but then almost like out of sync of everything. Yeah, well, so it's I'm, like the first year that everything's kicked back off, isn't it? Like it's not just yeah. not just lacrosse. Like lacrosse has kicked back off in a huge way, but like social lives and going out yeah. and yeah. all other stuff. You kind of forget what you used to do, and it's becoming the norm again. Like I've, I'm, there's no time in my week, and I don't really do a lot. If you know what I mean, it's it's tough. Yeah, you feel you feel like time rich again, but then also it's like seriously time poor because all the stuff that you were probably doing and like people's lives have changed you know people's habits have changed and um and you know i mean i'm a bit gray and a bit older for it as well so uh... you're looking good man there's, there's a silver oh. fox look about you <laughs> i hope so still coaching still running around rocking a gray lid looking good yeah that's 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 what i'm aiming for anyway <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's get on with the questions. I've got an abundance to get through. Um, so we'll start with the normal ones, um, and then we'll go from there. Right, Mikey, where did you first get into lacrosse? Yeah, so uh, like a few people who've been on the pod, kind of a, a graduate of the LDO program from the late 90s, early 2000s, I think. I can't quite remember if I can put a year on it, but I must have been about eight or nine. Um, and LDO came in from Timpley Lacrosse Club into primary school, um and literally just went from there kind of never really looked back i do remember at the time i was kind of you know my dad was a footballer 
um, was asking you know, can I get involved with a football club and I think it would have been kind of like probably this time of the year like going into yeah. spring summer term so probably not the greatest time to be looking for a team so my dad was probably putting me off till September October and then a lacrosse coach came in and I remember having you know a conversation with my dad in the kitchen holding a flyer saying you know <laughs> what's it and my dad's like what's this lacrosse thing and I was like what's this lacrosse thing um, and yeah just went down to the session on the Saturday morning um, and as I say, yeah, went from there, played under 12s, 14s, 16s, right the way through. Um, seniors, everything, you know, it's, um, you know, got, got involved, obviously, within the club as well. And yeah, it's, as I say, never really looked back. So the LDO programme was clearly doing something right. It's just, uh, obviously, circumstances and everything, it's, it's no longer around. But um, I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges we have as a game right now, actually. All right, cool, cool, cool. So wait, you then went to uni, played at uni? Yes. So um, The infamous uh, Sheffield, am I right? Yeah, I was a member at Sheffield University Men's Lacrosse Club, SMLC. Um, so we played both then Saturdays and Wednesdays. So Wednesdays with uni um, in the books leagues and then playing as a, as a club effectively mm -hmm. on the Saturday, commuting, having uh, some amazing times. I think really fortunate. We had three fantastic years in Sheffield. You know, it was the old Division Three. First year we got promoted into Division Two. Second year we got promoted and then into the Prem, and then we stayed up there. Um, and then those guys kind of continued that for a couple of years. Um, it's a shame to see where the club's got gone to and ended up now. And I think it, that is probably because of where the university game's gone. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was. You know, I think whilst I was there, we had our we had our fiftieth anniversary. Um, we ended up putting a black tie dinner on at Br Bramall Lane and having all the great and the good come back. I mean, I think, I think it was about 100, about over 100 people there. Did a bit of a an alumni game and people pulling their sticks out from you know from dusting off them and I've <laughs> had a bit of a run out. But no, it's when you when you actually look at that club and the people who've gone through its doors, um, it is definitely something that you can kind of say, yeah, I was part of. I was part of that. Mate, when I first started lacrosse, they used to come back. Uh, I say come back. I think it was all the alumni used to come down to Blues Fest every year and just tan people. Like it was random people every year. I'd be like, "Where are you playing from?" Yeah, so you, you just the, knew that caliber was like year on year on year was it was there. Yeah, so they had like the the Jedi boys who was that like was the, it. that was it. Um, I want to say they were like early two thousands, like, and then we had a Blues Fest team which was uh, Sambalax. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. And and uh yeah, we just, you know, do I mean I actually remember my first no my second year at university, I had an exam and I was like, I'm going to Blues Fest in like three hours, but I've got this exam first. Um and I was like halfway through the exam and I was like, I'm not doing any more on this, so I better get on the train to blues. And <laughs> and uh yeah. I say to the students at the university now, you know, you're a student first and athlete second, but on that day, I'm not quite sure I was. I know what I know what choice I'd have made. It's a great weekend. It's a great weekend. It's coming round. Are you are you still partaking in such activities? Not, well, not this year. No. Um, I've, I'm not, not done blues or bath for a couple of years, mm. um, mainly because of the international commitments, obviously COVID, but. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of those, it takes somebody to organise it. And I think a lot of the guys who were organising stuff are organising things in their own lives now. Like, it's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, um, 
but it's uh I'm I'm sure we'll we'll probably rock out a team in a few years' time when we're all, you know, feeling the nostalgia creeping back and wanting a bit of a run out. But yeah, we, those kind of yeah, those weekends are uh, for us a lot of the time. Those weekends were kind of like just a normal weekend because we'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd play Saturday. Right. We'd, yeah, we'd we'd play Saturday. We'd we'd party hard pretty Saturday night um, in the Nottingham House in 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 Sheffield, and uh, and yeah, camping. I'm not a fan of camping. I'll be honest. <laughs> There's definitely some stories from uh, the Blues first weekend, but again, we won't we won't go into them. I've yeah, got to the point where running and drinking in the same 24 hours aren't really a doable thing for me. So um, I pick one or the other now. But it's coming well, around. Uh, it's not that long. Yeah, and this, the podcast doesn't go out after Watershed, does it, Joe? So we've got to be <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, cool, Mikey. Who's your favourite person in the game? I knew this one was coming up and it's really hard for me to answer because so many people I know in the game I, I consider it, you know, not just friends but close friends. Um, you know, I've got a really good cl- group of close friends, a lot from university um, and, and from club who kind of still socialise with. Um, and then I know Helen was on the other week and, um, you know, was kind of worked quite closely with the likes of Helen and Abby, Sean, Jason. I know... Craggy was mentioned as well. Yeah, legend um, that he is. Who was both kind of, you know, a friend through club, um, as well as kind of, you know, with his involvement with England and stuff that we did there. Um, and I do have a bit of a running joke with Helen and Abby about who's my favourite person at England across between <laughs> them two. And so, uh, but actually, I think it, when it boils down to it, you know, there's a group of there's a group of staff that I work with, which is the, uh, the England Under 21 coaching team. Um, you know, we've been working together basically since 2015 now. Um, oh, wow. So that's, you know, Vince and Alison Cara, Ryan Garnsworthy, who, again, I've known Ryan since I was 15, 16, because he was an LDO. Um, Ian Lowe, who's our sports psych, who's a big part of the group. And then we've got Matt and Elliot, so Matt, Matt Collier, uh, and Elliot Hurry, who were really fortunate to play club ball with uh, with Elliot. Um and I think, yeah, it's just because we've spent so long working together. Um, we're quite like-minded as a group. Um, and actually, we, we had our squad weekend in the week. And Ian ran a kind of a, a psych session with us talking about kind of like the, the the performance mindset and like your performance mindset preference. And what was really interesting is that we took part as coaches and we all sat at different parts of the room. So when yeah. we're going on to different tables about, um, you know, kind of, sitting with people who were similar to yourself. We were all spread around the room. But actually, I think that goes to explain why we work so well together, because we balance each other off. Um, and it, yeah, it never really feels like like hard work or anything like that. It's all quite, um, you know, we have a good time lots to do it as well. So can't complain. Amazing. Oh, it sounds like there's a, there's a good few names in that group as well. That's not surprising that they're uh, Yeah, it's like not a small coaching people. team. No, no, it's definitely not. Um, I was going to take it out because no one wants to answer it. Um, but I think everyone in lacrosse is a little bit too too nice and frilly around the edges. So I'm hoping you got an answer for me. But Mike, who is your biggest grudge in the game? So I, I think it's I put it down as like grudge slash gripe. Yep. Um, and I, I actually think the my gripe is kind of the grapevine that exists within the sport. I think a lot of the time it can be a limiting factor on us. Um, you know, everyone has a lot of 
connections and you know as we are as a, you know everyone knows everybody within, within the sport and I think a lot of it misinformation goes out within kind of the grapevine and a lot of the time there's, there's not really that understanding of you know where everybody is within you know what they're doing so I think I would say my grudge my gripe is actually kind of like how we interact as a lacrosse community in the UK because I think you know if we do what we always we've always done we'll just get what we've always got and I think that we, we need to be a little bit more open-minded a little bit more um kind of open to opportunity um and sometimes it's not like just going back and doing well I know it's been mentioned on previous pods but like why do we always play games on a Saturday afternoon at two o'clock it yeah. just it you know but again people go oh well you know that's because cricket and bar takings or whatever like so what like try something different um and again it's you know it's just it's a gripe of like you know it feels like stuck in the rut a little bit and yep. you know i think if you look to the certainly the club game compared you know what it looks like now compared to what it looks like in you know 20 30 40 years ago i bet there's not you know obviously there's some differences but i bet in terms of the structure and some of the um kind of the club the way the clubs operate things i think there's probably not a huge amount of difference and like yeah, how definitely. can some how can something be so similar like 40 years on 50 years on um and so it's a bit of a gripe it's it's like well let's let's be a little bit more open to things and i think that's definitely also come from i deal with other coaches and other sports through the university and i don't think they have the similar kind of challenges that i mean yes some of them do like like but their sports don't operate in similar kind of ways to ours and it's like well why can't we be a little bit more open to it as well i couldn't agree more i actually think i know exactly what you're saying i 100 percent agree with you and i think there's a lot of people that also agree with you um so i'd be interested to find out why you're i think you hit the nail on the head as well with sport 40 years ago compared to sport now i think it's very similar um, not a lot's changed, but look how cultures have changed and look how society's changed in that time. It's ridiculous. In my head, it is ridiculous to keep doing the same thing, knowing that it is becoming more and more of a struggle, that you don't get the same commitment. Um, you don't get the same number of boys out. You know, you have to try different avenues of recruitment and things like that. But you then got to ask, well, you got to ask the sport, why is it not changing? Who is stopping it from change, you know? Yeah, and I, th I think people are always very quick to point fingers and go, well, that, you know, the national governing body should be doing more. And, you know, I don't think in some respects, yes, they, they, they could be doing more, but also the people who point in those fingers, they could also do more. And that's kind of like grapevine misinformation kind of stuff that comes through. And, you know, there's, there's, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people really invested in our sports, you know, fantastic group of volunteers. But, I think you've kind of alluded to it that, you know, things have changed, you know, cultures have changed and, you know, technology's changed, you know, there's some of those barriers that were barriers to publicising our sport, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago, they're no longer barriers. And we could be doing, you know, we could be doing more on a, on a club basis, you know, certainly something that I've looked at at the university is, you know, we film our games, but, how can we get our live game, our live games? You know, we've got American parents who would want to watch their son daughter play, um, you know, from from you know three thousand miles away. So yep. why can't we? Why can't we look at other that type of stuff for 
not just our showcase games, but you know, every Saturday or not even every Saturday, like you know, Friday night or whatever it might be. Friday night would be great. But lacrosse would work much better for me on a Friday night than it would the middle of a Saturday. Let me tell you, sir. Um, all right, cool. Great buying lacrosse. Well, that's, that's an awesome gripe. Um, you've kept that question in for one more episode. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Give us your take on something you've heard in a previous episode uh, that you'd like to offer your opinion on. Am I allowed to talk sixes? You can do what you want, mate. Go it, got banned. it got banned, didn't it? Like everyone just kept talking about sixes and I was like, there's got to be something. Like summer lacrosse. Oh my God, if summer lacrosse comes up again. Uh, no, go for it. Sixes for sure. Yeah, I, I think sixes is an interesting part of it um, just because it's so new. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's probably a few bits, like a few topics um, from previous pods. I think I actually probably dropped you a DM on Instagram when one of the sixes kind of conversations started and started buzzing and, and obviously, you know, I, I don't know if people know, but I've had some dealings with with the sixes, the with the fly on with the working group, um, and I was really interested to kind of get people's perspective outside of kind of what people saw for the first time, um, and I think for me, kind of like sixes has so much more potential than we see, and um, so you know. I think it kind of goes into probably the next question. So stealing your thunder, AJ, but like, what would I change about the game? Like, I think our junior version of the game should probably start at sixes and progress to tens. And then actually maybe it goes the other way at the end of your career. So you reckon when you, when you get to, so I'll, I'll, I'll clarify. Okay. But <laughs> when, you, when you get, when you get to, you know, when you get to the, the, the twilight years of your lacrosse career, like why, people are struggling to play those competitive games amongst their peers. And, you know, you see the, the 16 year old thrown in with the 52 year old or whatever, like, you yep. know, just do it. But why can't they play, you know, like my dad, my, you know, my dad played 11 aside football till he was in his early thirties and then played five aside with his mates. Um, you know, and, and, and it was a social thing. And I know it's football across is different in terms of the, the number of people playing it, but we all have those lacrosse friends who we could probably, muster a sixes team together getting tens hard but you know why don't why can't sixes kind of become you know lose the shot clock because you know we can do what we want really with the rule set lose that shot clock at an old age lose it at the young age or change it you know it doesn't have to be 30 seconds it could be a minute and and manipulate you know this is the coaching brain going on but like manipulate the game with a constraint so that it's more suitable for the people playing it rather than it just being, you know, a, a cookie cutter, it's a 30 second shot clock, it's a straight up turnover, you know, like use the game as a format to actually introduce, you know, tennis side and then get the specialisms or whatever it might be because the skill sets in it, you know, it's it's kind of what the Canadians do with box. And I think we have the opportunity where, you know, we can do sixes and, you know, people say, why can't we just do box? Well, because there's no box. You know, I've seen the fundraising stuff that's going on. At, it's at the expensive. Moment. Box is expensive. Yeah. There's no two well, ways about it. We can all get a six aside, you know, bit of space sorted. You could play sixes on a five aside football pitch, which there are thousands of, you know, I think like the, the old JJB soccer domes and the power leagues and all that type of stuff. Like yep. there's opportunity to actually kind of go, well, why can't, that be an opportunity for people play, to keep playing the game and enjoying the game whilst whatever else is happening on a Saturday. And, you know, clubs could hire a space, 
so that it allows uh, older players to have that outlet still. You know, there's there's definitely opportunities within within it that you know I just feel like there could be it could be the start of something. I completely agree with you. When you said Twilight Years, I was like, and you want to throw sixes at that. I was like, no, 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 no. That's the reason that people are struggling with it. But like you said, take the shot clock out, make it more low or adjust the rules accordingly. It's a great idea, but you'd still, in my opinion, it'd probably work quite well in Manchester because of the location, but you'd struggle getting the numbers in to have that five-a-side element of it. That's the biggest hurdle, isn't it? You'd still be relying on the young... Like, take my club, for example. I'm at an age, Mike, where if you said to me, Joe, Friday night, five-a-side, sixes, whatever, let's go do it in Canterbury, I'd be like, I would chew your arm off that. But I'm still relying on all the students that currently make up our team and all the other players as well. I'd be taking that field unit um, and effectively going and playing a five-a-side game with them and expecting them to carry on playing their their field game on a Saturday as well. So it is a great idea, but we, you'd still struggle massively. I don't know what it would be like in Manchester. I might be wrong about Manchester here, but even in England where, you know, lacrosse is, in, as far as Europe goes, lacrosse is fairly big. Um, it's certainly one of the, I don't know the the growth of the game here comparatively, but it's I think it's pretty big compared to a lot of other countries in Europe. I think we'd struggle to get that off the ground. Um, I love the idea though. I, I'm with you on the idea. I think it's great. Um, yeah, you didn't ask me to think about the practicality. <laughs> what, 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 what would I change? I kind of want it to happen though. I kind of want to just play five, like Friday night lacrosse now. Um, Saturdays are starting to hurt. Um, I'd be all for it, but okay. Right. So we've merged the, what would you change about the game and your take on a previous episode? Is there any other, any other points on sixes while we're talking about it that you just didn't agree with? Because it obviously came out the gate fast. Um, the other thing that you you mentioned that I picked up on, the only real version of it that we've seen is the fly or international. So from a from a spectator's point of view, it just looks really quick. It looks like you've got to be really athletic. And I think initially that probably put a few people, like older people, off um, off doing it. But yeah, are there any other points that you picked up on that you just thought, no, nah, I just don't agree with that? I mean... When I first heard about sixes, like like a lot of people, I'm an absolute like purist of tennis side, and was like, you know, what's this new thing? And we don't need this a new version. But yep. having seen it, you know, and live in the flesh, and played a little bit of it, not a lot, I'll be honest, too old um, <laughs> to play it. You know, to play it fast at least. Um, but no, but genuinely, like. It, it's just it's exciting like people who and I, I spoke to non-lacrosse people and you know the books it books traditional eight side tournaments looking to go sixes so having conversations around the university about book sixes and explaining it people just like oh yeah I get it. it's a bit like basketball and 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 I think that is always been a bit of the disconnect of lacrosse as a sport like I love the sport for what it offers in terms of a from a spectator's point of view, you know, it's fast, it's dynamic, everyone can make their own position. You know, if you're if you're fast, you can make that your attribute. If you're, you know, uh, you know, got a powerful shot, you can make that your attribute. Like sixes kind of maybe brushes over some of those things and like it becomes a little bit more defined about what becomes a you know, say at the top end a, a great player. Um but I do think there's there's definitely kind of yeah, it's it's it's, it's a spectacle. And 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 it, I think it will attract 
non-lacrosse people to, to look at it as a sport. Um, all right, cool. Give it a follow. So who do you want the listeners to go and have a follow, uh, to go and follow on social media? Do you know what? I had to sit in front of my phone today and try and work exactly what I follow because I think all the good stuff's been taken. You know, people have spent like high performance podcast and I think Tom even took the Magic Academy. Uh, Tom Wenham took the Magic Academy. I think he put me on that one to be fair. Um, but yeah, well, I think I wouldn't be doing uh, the current group I'm working with any disservice without saying go and give the England under 21s men's lacrosse team a follow. Absolutely. Give the University of Nottingham a follow uh, on, on Instagram. Um, well, actually, a couple of you know, I, I, you know, I don't do social media huge. I try to be better at it uh, than I probably am. Um, but one of the things I do like um, is on Twitter the football do a hashtag Sunday share, and coaches kind of just share their ideas, kind of almost like freely. They put mm-hmm. you know resources together around it and and just push that out as you know, come and have a look, and you know, I think. Other coaches who've been on the pod have mentioned kind of taking ideas from other sports and implementing them into lacrosse. And that surely that's the art of coaching is seeing something that you like and making it relevant to the group that you're working with. Um, and see so much stuff on the on the Sunday share that comes through. And I kind of go, oh, I'll give that a try on you know Monday session, or yep. I'll give that a try on you know next Friday, whatever it might. And it's amazing what you kind of get out of trying to take things. You know, I know. Um, Ash posts so much stuff about like keep it on the deck, and I've you know we run the rondo type practice that it just it just works like it's great for lacrosse, but it's a football practice yep. and stuff like that. Um, and then just probably kind of keeping it along that thread. Um, I don't think they're p- pushing that much new stuff out at the moment. Um, it's definitely kind of a bit of a, a COVID project, but like the UK coaching podcast was something I was put onto through the university because they just have um, you know ideas of how to you know like anything from i said like the, the psych side of things how to structure your sessions how to you know engage with athletes whatever it might be you know there's 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 so much stuff on there and you know it's a got back catalog that you can just probably go listen to and when you're driving around listen you know probably from session to the lacrosse session like i am it's, it's always good and you get to the end and you think oh, i'll give that a try now actually because you feel a bit you know, inspired don't you when yeah, you find absolutely gym. yeah i'm with you absolutely and i think like these free the free resources that we've got at the moment, you know, like it's just it's so great to just have that access. And you know, again, like we said before, like things have changed. You know, I think as a as individuals in the sport, you got more opportunities than you ever had to to dip into another sport to try something new. Um, and you know, it's a free resource like podcasts and Twitter and social and whatever. So yeah, but uh, yeah, all, all good. Enjoy it absolutely it's I, so like i get so much from ash so much from connor um just sh- when people share them i don't think they quite realize the effect it can have i've been i've been going to a session um got there i've sat waiting and i've just seen a drill i think one i think one of those two actually did post it on this occasion and i was like that is what i want to put in that's that's literally in tune with what i'm doing in this session chucked it in and it worked great it worked so well um and like helen said in the in the last episode she, when she said, oh, we're thinking about getting non-lacrosse coaches into the fly, what a great idea. 
Like it, it chimes in with what you said earlier. Like it's that yeah. we're quite a little niche sport. We're quite um, tight knit. Everybody knows everyone. Everyone, everyone knows names. Well, a great way of breaking down those barriers is doing something like that, taking something like the fly and just chucking in an experienced coach from another sport and see what happens. Hey, no one's saying that that coach is going to flop. No one's saying that coach is going to do amazing, but it will certainly put the game on its head a little bit. It'll, it'll certainly get people thinking. And I think that's what we need in the sport. Um, for sure. See, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking your stuff from football, rugby, cricket, whoever. A coach is a coach is a coach, I believe, is um, is the phrase. I've got personal experience of that. <laughs> Chuck in the deep end. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. All right, cool. Let's get into the bulk of it then. So, moving clubs up north is a complete cardinal sin, as Will Baxter explained previously. Um, can you tell us your thoughts on this and your past experience? You obviously played for a number of clubs, so um, give us your take on that one, Mike. Oh, I mean, it is, isn't it? I've, you know, probably still getting earful, and <laughs> it's, it's really interesting ahead of the flags final this weekend. Kind of, you know, who's who's reaching out and saying good luck, and, and who's kind of going, mm, maybe oh, don't really, want a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's more the you know the, the silence is uh, is deafening, isn't it? At that yeah, point. absolutely. Um, yeah, I think you know Will's Will's pretty right that you know people do stand by the club and want to be a club man for for twenty thirty years. I think there was always a, a well accepted thing like if you're going to go to university, you know, go play for that university team. It kind of you know it, it makes sense, but you know, make sure you come back at the end of it. Type yeah, thing. yeah, um, and. I think when you get involved then with like national squads or you you know you might have ambitions or whatever like you, you hear other people and say oh you know do you fancy coming to our club and you know and you, you everyone's had the offers in the past um and i'll be honest i think i nearly went to Cheadle once maybe twice um and kind of stuck you know i think my brother was the captain at timpley still one year and he's like you're not going like you're, <laughs> you're not allowed you're not you're not, you're you're not doing that. <laughs> um you know, and you've, you've, I've heard crazy stories about, you know, people, other clubs paying off outstanding subs so that it allows somebody to move and also, you know, probably like hundreds of pounds to allow somebody to move and stuff like that. And I think, you know, we'll talk a bit a little bit later about like that kind of how like the game needs to be a bit more professional. I think that's going maybe a little bit to the other way, like, you know, paying off someone's subs so that you can, they can come over to your team or whatever. Um, but yeah, I obviously moved to Heaton Mersey. Um, just before kind of like that COVID season, um, and my brother had made the move um, about twelve, I think it's twelve eighteen months before me, and you know I know we joked, but like I do realise I've probably not got a huge number of playing years left, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I you know probably came to the conclusion of a few years ago was that everyone's at club lacrosse for different reasons. And I used to sometimes come away from a Saturday game like really despondent, and I was like, and then it, I almost had like a Zen moment, like you know, I think um, probably a bit of the chimp paradox type of stuff kicking in. Doctor Steve Peters, and it's like, actually, do you know what? People are there for different reasons, and like, it's it, that's okay, but it's what it does to me that changes that. And one of the things that I really valued was being able to play week in week out with my brother, yeah. um, and the fact that I couldn't do that and. There was no chance he was moving back anytime soon, so I kind of was like, "Well, I'll go the other way." And it was really nice just to be able to then, you know, having been so involved in a club for so long, like Timpley, was you know, not just be able to turn up, get the goals out, who's doing the cones, have the referees sorted, 
what's you know like all that kind of organised. It's nice just to turn up, play, enjoy yourself. You know, mates in the in the bar, and and someone else takes care of all that type of stuff. Yeah, and um, I guess that was that was quite a big thing for me. Is like you know just want to just want to play, and obviously then taking on responsibilities at the University of Nottingham. I just think I would have uh, it'd have driven me insane. I'd have, I'd have probably just stopped playing altogether because. I couldn't have been doing it Monday to Friday, and then on a Saturday as well. So, with, yeah. I think it. Yeah, Willie's right. Like people don't like it, but at the end of the day, there's there's a practical side to it, and I think people have got to put the, put the person in the forefront of that. And you know, um, had a had a few tough phone calls to be honest when I when I switched clubs, but I can imagine. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad for it. I can imagine. If people, in my opinion, though, if people treated i think someone else has come and said this i'm probably stealing someone else's um comments here and making them for myself but if people actually treated the people at the clubs that do the work not with any extra respect or anything but you know just kind of acknowledge that someone is putting up their own time their effort and and you know everything like that and then stepping up and doing that as well you know doing that stepping up themselves for a couple of years maybe giving them a break letting them do what you just said i, I just want to turn up and play lacrosse if people actually did that instead of just take, 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 then maybe we'd keep more people in the game. Maybe there'd be more happier people in the game. Maybe clubs wouldn't become so stagnant in everything they do because it's the same people having to do the same work over and over and over. Um, and it works both ways. Some people want to keep that position, you know, like it's, uh, I don't know, like it's something that they really enjoy. Other people don't want it, but no one else wants to do it. So, you know, they have to do it. Um, I think every everybody could probably turn around and do that little bit more or that little bit less, depending on where they're where they're at. Yeah, no, totally agree with that, Like I think some I've definitely seen people disappear from the club scene because it's just been too much for them and yep. it's you know, it's taken more of them than they probably liked. Um and that's a shame, you know, that's a real shame because that person clearly started it with great intentions and a big heart in it, and then all of a sudden, isn't isn't doing it anymore. Or, and you're right. I don't think people do it for gratitude. They do it because they love the game. And like we're all we all you know, let's let's like not kid around. Like there's not that many full time paid roles in lacrosse in the UK. No, no. So it heavily relies on on volunteers, and people literally do it for the love of the game. And so the second that starts to wane. Like it's it's a one way street to nothing, isn't it? No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was sat in on one of the um, player coaches seminars with Arna Pedersen with European Lacrosse um, a couple of weeks back, and I didn't take anything like drastically away from it that was shock horror, but I found it really interesting to hear other coaches' experiences that they're having and just how vast and varied they were. Like what I'd consider a coach's problems to be, you could, you think you could probably oh, list 10 and I'll nail them all. Oh my God, there's so many. There's so many different problems that affect coaches in different ways. And, you know, these people are trying to help promote the game, develop the game. And sadly, a large number of them were from the players. Were from, you know, I mean, Arna's doing some great work on it, but I was kind of gobsmacked to hear that the similar things were happening. And it was, it wasn't, facilities or other issues it was actually interacting and dealing with players that that popped up every now and then and i, I just didn't expect that i did not expect that at all um i haven't been on that side of it i, I can absolutely expect it <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. joe you're so naive <laughs> yeah no but you know just to tie that one off like 
I can't not mention it. Like, it's obviously paid off for me moving to Mersey. We had a very successful Sunday at Flags. Yeah, so, uh, pretty absolutely. Happy about that one. How, you, how was your head Monday? Uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. It was a great game. I did catch um, a bit of it. It looked like a good one to be watching. So, um, Okay, cool. So you are head of lacrosse at Nottingham Uni. Can you tell us about the role? Um, and as a men's player and coach, how you've kind of had to adjust to develop women, the women's game as well? Yeah, it's, um, you mentioned something before about like coaching's coaching. And um, so I originally didn't apply for like a head of lacrosse role or even like the men's role I actually applied for the women's women's lacrosse role um, Did you? yeah um so oh, wow. i got i got an email uh basically just saying you know we're, we're looking for a coach um would you be interested and i kind of like i had a you know a few other commitments i'd recently gone self-employed and i thought i can probably make it fit i can make it work so i thought well i'll go for the i'll go for the interview and genuinely like i the interview was kind of a sit down in a Starbucks and a bit of a chat and just kind of sounding it out and 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 then doing a, a, a pitch session and I'm sure she won't mind mentioning but like Bella Bowater who um who was the club president at the time like that was probably the most nerve wracking part of the whole thing was having a conversation with a student who genuinely knew more about the women's game than I did um, <laughs> and some of those you know very direct questions and but I you know I had some done a bit of homework going into it a little bit, you know, kind of, and I, I definitely kind of felt that I could contribute, you know, coaching's coaching. In a lot of respects, lacrosse is lacrosse still. Yes, there are nuances of the rules, but I was super fortunate that, you know, it had gone ten aside, that all of a sudden, you know, uh, women's lacrosse, you can now go through the crease, you know, all these kind of things. I was like, well, that's actually an advantage because now I have an understanding of what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... Yeah, I reached out also the same in kind of just kind of doing my due diligence around the whole thing to Scott Waddell, who was the men's coach at the time. Um, and he kind of just said, listen, Mike, there's a good chance I might not be going back. So at the end of the interview, he said, you know, the girls like, yeah, we'll, we'll have him as a coach. That uh, Phil Wood, who was who's uh, the recruitment and scholarships manager, basically turned around and said, Mike, listen, would you be open to kind of taking a bit more of a, a headship role over two sports rather than just the one kind of... Um, you know, it was, it was going like it was going into COVID, so it was like the commitments aren't going to be like Wednesday every week, but we'll have to think about that. That'll be a problem down the line. Yeah, off the back end. Um, and and so yeah, so I kind of was like, well, yeah, let's 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 give this a try. See how we can balance it out. Um, and to be honest, I would say as a head of lacrosse, I massively benefit from overseeing both the ladies' club. So it's ladies' lacrosse at University of Nottingham, not women's lacrosse. Um, but like the ladies lacrosse and the men's lacrosse club because there's so many things that they do that they could you know and we've definitely done a little bit of this of like right let's do this together because we're basically duplicating the work otherwise um, but then there are definitely times where you kind of have to treat it as, as the individual things you obviously like some of the, the technical tactical things you know the skill level um, we had a really interesting one this year. Actually, we we set we set up a Wales lacrosse came and played us in a in a friendly, and our boys actually played on them on the Sunday. Not not many people know that. Um, really? Our boys played with so they played with men's sticks, women's rules, on the Sunday, and then they played the women's team on the Monday, um, and then they went up and to Durham and played Durham on the Tuesday. It was like a little mini tour, um, and 
just the boys trying to understand it a little bit. And like it, I thought from a coaching point of view, they were well out of their comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they were they were trying things or, you know, not quite sure on certain things. And I think as a learning opportunity, that was great for them. And so there's, there's things like that that kind of probably materialise it from it. And I don't think maybe that might have previously not have happened if there was, you know, men's coach, women's coach, and it kind of kept a little bit siloed. Um, so, yeah, definitely some adjustments um, to it. I think probably one of the best things that stood me in good stead was kind of just reaching out to a couple of people who'd already done it kind of with a, with a men's lacrosse hat on. So I did make a phone call to Phil Collier, spoke to Ryan Garnsworthy. So Ryan, I remember him saying years ago when he went for his interview at Sherbourne, yep. like he was again like, I don't really know women's lacrosse, but they asked him to coach transition. It's basically the same. So he's like, yeah, landed on my feet on that one. <laughs> um, and and same with Phil, you know, Phil kind of gave me some really great inputs. And I guess the difference is, yes, there are things in the game itself, but it's definitely more, like we've already mentioned it, kind of like those relationships, those those player interactions at the end of the day, yes, you coach coaching's coaching, lacrosse is lacrosse, but also people are people. And I think you just when you treat them on an individual basis and and for who's who who's in front of you, then actually there's not a huge amount of adjustment that has to go on. Did you get any kickback at all? Like obviously you got into it, you got the you got the gig. Um, was there any anyone who or anybody that wasn't too sure about the situation that you had to deal with? I would be lying if I said no. Um, I definitely think there was some pushback initially, but I was very open and honest and kind of said, listen, hands up, this is where I'm at. Um, can we try this at least? You know, I've got an idea. Can we try it? If it doesn't work, that's fine. But at least we tried it. And I think because it was during that COVID year where it was literally just train, 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 like it allowed me to tr just try stuff without the the competitive side of things coming in on a Wednesday and it not really being, um, you know, it was, it was there's no consequences against tr you know, trying something and it not working. But then as we tried things and, you know, the girls maybe took it, but may maybe they put their own slant on it and got some great players who got their own experiences and, um, and kind of, you know, mash ideas together. And then all of a sudden what comes out the other end is, is a, you know, pretty good, pretty good products from a from a books winning championship team so i can't yeah, i can't i can't hide from that i think the girls um done a great job and then obviously you know from a from the men's side of things it's you know we definitely feel like we've got a big work in progress still um and it's not going to change in one year like you know what the guys have, have um, are still doing a pretty good job okay cool 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 um so you are off to the under 21s this summer coaching. Um, what's it been like working with a group of lads for so long? So COVID's delayed the championships um, and you've been given another cycle, as you called it, um, with the players. Has this made it easier, harder? Um, and what can we expect from the from the lads? Yeah, so to put everything in context, um, we first trialled, I think it was in the summer of 2017, Maybe it's 2018. Should have written that down and checked. Um, but, it's one or the other. <laughs> yeah, it's either one or the other. Um, but it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, actually, it, it was 2017. It was it was like August 2017. And um, that really is a long time. Yeah. 
So we we finished we finished the championships in 2016 after Coquitlam. We then kind of all had a little bit of time off, and we're like, yeah, we're going to commit to the under 19 process again, um, because originally that tournament was. Um, 20 I honestly I keep getting lost I think originally it was 2020 August like July yes. August 2020 yep. we had the under 20 Europeans the year the summer before it and we had a year out from that so I'm terrible with the numbers and maths but I think it was, whatever it was it was like it was a long time ago you can tell I've I've, uh, I've, I've, I've forgotten how long ago it was um, but normally you're in a process with a team for maybe two years mm -hmm. Um, especially with the kind of the what was an under 19s, you know, the same it is a boys to men process. Um, and you know, whilst it is, you know, it's gone on like that boys to men process has been elongated because now you've got, you know, not only people who would have been competing in the championship maybe after the first year of university, but now they've done three years at university and yeah. graduating before they go to the tournament. That is a different dynamic, you know. Normally, you're dealing with maybe GCSEs and A levels. Now you're dealing with, you know, second and third year exams. Again, different kind of kettle of fish. Um, you know, we've lost players, we've gained players. Um, you know, it's 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 definitely been a long process, but it's definitely shown kind of that resilience of the ones that have stuck with the process throughout and. You know, we had a conversation as a coaching staff. I think it was around like the January of what would have been 2020, 2020? yeah, middle of COVID, basically. You know, like there was the tournament was up in the air. Was it going to happen? Was it going to happen? Was it going to get postponed? We had a conversation of like, well, what if you know this happens? What yeah. if that happens? What's our plans? And try to just kind of try and put some normality to the whole thing. And um, yeah, it, it's it. One of the things that came out of that was like, well, if we're given that extra year, what are we going to do with it? Because we were, I describe it as, um, you know, that two-year process. Imagine each year is running four hundred meters around the running track. You know, so we've done the first time round. We're going around the second time. And we're just coming down that hundred meter home straight, and then someone says to you, "Oh, you need to go around. Keep running another. <laughs> you, know, you need to go around another time." And it's like, okay, well, what we're going to do on you know this extra loop now when. You know, do we change things? Because obviously people have, have, have grown up, you know, quite significantly. Do we open the door again? You know, because there's maybe players that um, have developed because, you know, doing an under under 21s, you know, they kept the lower age band at 16. So it opened the door to people who couldn't have originally trialed. Um, that is such a big age group, isn't it? Yeah. I, so I can it, tell Ian's been really busy. With the psych sessions, <laughs> we've all been really busy, mate. Um, it's, Jeez. it's yeah, it's it's, it's one of those. It's one of those where, on balance, I feel like I mentioned earlier on, like you know, the Americans will have had those extra years in the NCAA, but our boys have had extra years at university. You know, physically, we're a lot more developed than we would have been, you know, two years ago. Um, you know, we've got we've got guys who are playing in university programs at Trent, at UON, at you know Newcastle, MMU, wherever it might be across the country. They're not the players that they were two years ago as well. So there's there's definitely that you know excitement, but no one knows until we get to the tournament in August. That's the best thing about this whole thing. Yeah. Like we can you know speculate as much as we want, but no one actually really knows.
Well, it's awesome. They've literally just thrown everything up in the air, haven't they? Everything's changed. The age of them, the group, the, the lower limit. Like, absolutely everything's changed. It'll be, like, it'll be a tournament like no other. And the fact that they're sticking at the under-20 age band moving forward, that, again, you know, that that, that one extra year for for UK-based players, I think, is, is something interesting. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, Mikey, we're going to go to the listeners' questions. There's lots of them, so be prepared. Um, I'm going to start with, it's actually quite a funny one. Uh, Ed wants to know, is it true you used to practice necking pints of water at uni to get better at downing? Uh, I can't deny that I might have done it <laughs> once or twice. I used to do it, standard. I bet Ed's done it. There's a couple of Eds who I think might have asked that question. Uh, I can tell you if you want. No, it's all good. Okay. <laughs> all right, cool. This is a good question. I like this question. Um, what gave Mersey the edge over Stockport in the Flags final? It's a great question because not really digested it properly. But we definitely felt as a team that, as, and I think we saw it in the game, that as we got deeper into the game, we were going to come in it because we, ha- we had, we felt like we had 15 guys who were all going to compete and play. I think they might have had a couple or two on the sideline and didn't really see that much game time. So that kind of comes into it. Um, but yeah, we we just there was a lot of talk pre-game about you know being one of the most prepared Mersey teams for a flags final that's ever been, and we definitely felt like we were prepared. We trained, um, you know, pretty pretty form since the, kind of the games finished a few weeks ago. Um, we were possibly a little bit more fortunate that we'd. Um, our, our league games didn't finish as soon as Stockport, so we had a little bit of that game practice. Um, but I just, you know, there was just genuine belief. You know, I think people have said, oh, when you went a couple of goals down, or I think we were 1.3 goals down in the yeah. game. No one on our sideline genuinely thought, well, we're not going to get back in this. Um, so there was there was just genuine belief. And um, yeah, it's just been a great team to be part of. Like, the Everyone's everyone's played the part at a different point of the season, so it's um, and you know different people stepped up on on Sunday who stepped up in the semi final and you know we we've seen it right the way through you know we had a, we had two guys who couldn't play really in the final through injury, but we just got we felt like we had that strength in depth right through right through the team. Awesome. All right. Cool. 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 Um, Anya wants to know, do you prefer coaching men's or women's? I get these questions from the students all the time. I get, I get messages at like half two in the morning sometimes <laughs> saying, well, who do you prefer? Uh, genu- genuinely speaking, I think over the last couple of years, I've enjoyed the challenge that women's lacrosse has offered me because it's been new. Yeah. But I can't yeah. get away from something that I love in terms of having played it and you know, all that stuff. So I like it's one of those. I sometimes... As I said, flip hats can be coaching men's six to eight, then women's eight till ten or whatever. It you just just flip flip hats, and I, I enjoy the coaching. Um, so that's probably a bit of a cop out, and yet no, um, I think you're right, answer. mate. I do back to back men's and women's sessions, and I enjoy them both for different reasons. It's it, like it's a different group of people. You have to have a different hat on, don't you? So, yeah. and like you said, as long as it challenges you and you you feel like you're doing a good job, then no, absolutely, you can certainly enjoy both. Right, last one. Um, I think this is a really good question, but it could go either way. Do you think uh, do you think Bucks players 
should support their local clubs on a Saturday? And can you say why either way? So I'm I'm really split on this because obviously I've seen, you know, I did it at university. You know, I, I was on the forefront of, of, you know, I went to university, I played for the university and I played at Sheffield University on a Saturday. But then I know certain clubs absolutely rely on the fact that guys come back. So it's, you know, chicken and egg in that respect. You know, if if you're going to go back and one team is going to benefit and the other's going to, you know, it, who's, who's, who's going to lose out? Like, it's, it's really hard. We've definitely had conversations at UON in regards to whether or not we would put a Saturday team in um, and oh, really? make that part of the offering. Yeah, well, so like uh, volleyball do it, for example. So volleyball ball will play in a national league and then they'll play on a Wednesday and they just make it part of the programme and, you know, off they go. Hockey do it, you know, and it's pretty well established in hockey that, you know, they, they'll play on a, on a Saturday They'll then train a couple of days. They'll play on a Wednesday. They'll train a couple of days, and and actually, what benefit then does that does that have to say the Wednesday game? You know, what what's it giving back? Um, I ultimately think it's it's always a personal choice, isn't it? You know, where do you want to go spend your Saturdays? If you're somebody who wants to stick around university at the weekend and enjoy yourself, great. If you're somebody who wants to travel, you know, could be 100, 150 miles round trip, whatever, go do it. But I don't. I don't think. There's a, I think it's again. It's an individual thing. Um, I've done it. I, I. You know. I would like. I would like certainly from a coaching point of view now, guys to have a little bit of downtime at the weekends because I think playing a lot. You know, it only goes one way. Yep. Having burning burnt the candle at both ends previously. Um, so it's just about balance. I think, Joe. Like genuine. It's a hard one. That. Yeah. It is. I hope that's, I'm not hoping not sat on the fence too much with that one. No, I think you've outlined some really good, really good points. I think if you're higher up in Bucks leagues as well, I'd kind of be tempted to say no. Like you just said, burnout. Those guys are training all the time. If you're lower down the leagues, then maybe you could learn a few things from a local club. Like I know local clubs need support and stuff like that as well. Um, but I don't think there yeah. is a, a great that's a, that's answer. A good point. It's a good question though. It's a good point actually. To be fair, like is the, what standard are you getting elsewhere? Yeah. You know if. If that standard that you're going to play on a on a on a Saturday isn't what you get in at university of books, then you know is it is it is it worth it or is it worth getting vice versa? Yeah, well, we have definitely have that conversation a few times. <laughs> if you're going to go, go, but be good, be good. Um, okay, cool. So your let's talk about um, higher education lacrosse for a little bit. Your role amongst others it's taken a much more of a professional approach um, within the higher education. Uh, game uh, from an outsider's perspective the growth and potential it, it looks great um, but what's your take on the higher education game at the minute and where is it going what can we expect in five to ten years per se so I can't tell you exactly where it's going but I can tell you where I'd like it to go alright um, so you know just to give a bit of a flavour about you know there's obviously another a number of programmes across the country that offer um, lacrosse as kind of like a a performance sport within the university setting and what that gets is um you know sports the sports psych or the nutrition great tick tick you know scholarship bit of money maybe well i think that you know it's the it's the strength and conditioning it's the the injury prevention it's the injury clinics that if you need you know and we have like and that's one of the things i love so much about uon is we have all of that stuff like on tap it's some of the best resources in the country um and 
where I would like it to go. I, I genuinely say, I've said this to a few people fairly recently, like if, if there were, you know, another five, six, 10 programs, you know, at that space in the country that were doing what? UON, Trent, Durham, you know, Bristol, MMU. Um, I know Loughborough's kind of been there in the past. If those, if there was, you know, double that number, it, I think it would comfortably be the best standard of lacrosse in the country. Um, and that's a bit pretty bold statement, but if you think about the, the level of coaching, the level of training, the the kind of, as you say, like the professionalism, but like, you know, those those resources that the individuals can then tap into, I think it, it just put, you know, in the age of the athletes as well, you know, it kind of just would put, it would be a showcase of opportunity. So I don't know, you know, there's obviously lots of moving parts to that, you know, individual institutions, you know, the how it all kind of hangs together, but the competition structures there, you know, the, the books competition structures there, it does it in other sports, you know, you see um, like Super Rugby, for example, um, you know, UON have just had their first team promoted into Super Rugby for next year. Like that is an absolute game changer for the, the university club because yep. now they're going to be going to Exeter and you know playing guys who are probably going pro and you know and all this kind of stuff like but surely those opportunities can exist again within our sport and and um, that's where I would like it to go. I'd, I'd love them to be you know of course it's nice being a, 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 a I said inverted commas powerhouse within a but we're small fish or sorry we're a big fish in a small pond and yep. I'd rather be you know part of something bigger um, and I think it might be mentioned before but like genuinely like a rising tide raises all ships and so why not kind of try to embrace that so that you know it pushes the standard in this country universities right across to kind of wearing my international cap of going well it's going to surely make us better internationally um, and you know it's I don't think it's any coincidence that you see a lot of the girls who get selected in international squads domestically here that they've been through, you know, university programs either in the last, you know, five, ten, fifteen years. Well, maybe not fifteen years, but certainly the last ten years. And um, there's, no, there's no, I don't think there's any coincidence in that they're at the top of their game now because of what the foundation that they've had when they were, when they were probably eighteen to twenty-three, twenty-four, whatever it might be. Awesome. Okay. It sounds it sounds similar to well not similar sorry it, what you said earlier about um, being a bit stagnant in the uh, the club game it sounds like Bucks doesn't have that issue if you know what I mean Bucks has obviously Bucks has got loads of resources um, but Bucks lacrosse specifically um, it seems like it's got the ability to possibly take over the club game as as the spectacle and you've kind of just alluded to that that everyone. Um, it, it could or is the, the, the highest standard all across played. I mean, that makes sense to me. The fact that they train, they have the ability to train together as they do. They're athletes, um, well, they're student athletes. Um, they're not people that are working, you know, nine to fives and trying to train once, twice a week. Um, but is that something that can support the club game at all? Or is it something that just is just going to, in your opinion, go off on its own? crystal ball time in it Joe I guess because um, there's pe people have mentioned like getting and you said as well like putting uh, Nottingham into Nemla or putting them into a local club league and I think that would I don't see a downside to that if I'm honest as far as high high standard lacrosse goes 
But I think I'd I'd worry that Semler and Nemler and other organisations they'll they'll miss the boat on that one if stuff doesn't change or if conversations aren't had. And I'm just kind of interested to see where you think that will end up. So I think Box obviously has a competition structure that is well organised, i.e. You know, you have a Northern Prem, you have a Southern Prem. If your sport's big enough, you have a National Prem. So that competition structure already exists. And then obviously it filters down to regional and tiers and all that type of stuff. So I think that does help the kind of the structure of it helps. And you say like, you know, there's resources like universities are pretty well resourced if you compare it to say, you're my club. Um, Because straight away they've got the facilities, straight away they've got, um, you know, a target, let's say, audience. They've got, you know, students who are literally ready to kind of, you know, grab your, grab your left hand if you want yeah. to play a bit of lacrosse. Yeah, I'm going to go for it. Um, in terms of where it impacts the club game or has a, 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 a negative impact, surely more people playing the game at a higher standard has to be a better thing for the sport. Um, and maybe there's a number of moving parts to this. You know, I think I was... Uh, you know, you have to. You'll know better than me. You know the number of say graduates that end up in London, and end up then playing at a club in London. You know, is that the same um, opportunity where people just kind of you know North Sheffield, you know, end up just going back to the home club and, and being content with it at the end of the university? But like, we you see, we've seen it time and time over now. Like, there's, there are players who pick up the sport at university and then end up being pretty good lacrosse players, you know, ending up on national squads like that. That is an achievement of that individual because it's not, it's, it's not easy to do. It's pretty hard. Um, and so surely there's got to be something in the give and take in that respect as well. Cause that person, once they finished is not going to just stop playing lacrosse. They're going to seek cause that keen person is going to seek it out and yeah. want to, you know, play at a high standard. And, and so there's it's hard isn't it because no one really knows kind of a lot of the time where these players go to after the university after they graduate i think that is that retention piece is probably something that you know needs a little bit of, of focus on um because that you know we, we grad we're graduating hundreds if not thousands of lacrosse players every year like surely a few more have got to stick around in the game absolutely all right, Mike, last one from me. Um, what are the barriers that we face in professionalising our sport, whether that's university that we've just spoke about or, or whether it's club? Um, the barriers. Um, genuinely, I think we've kind of alluded to already. And I think it's that attitude to change. I think... A lot of people who know lacrosse intimately kind of like the fact that it's a small sport and they, they can go to a clubhouse on a Saturday or they can pitch up at a different university and, and know people. And that's great. You know, is as I said, I'm a, I'm a victim of that myself. You know, I've got so many friends within the sport. Um, so I think... There's that attitude to kind of do we want you know we want it to be bigger you know we want that profile we want and, and there's got to be some things that we can change to kind of reduce those barriers a little bit make it a little bit easier so we can probably 
reduce that reluctance to travel. You know, as a university team, we travelled up to Edinburgh this year. I was seven hours on a coach, eight hours there, and or I can't remember what it was. Nice. It was. We left at half five in the morning and then get back till it was dark again. You know, it was one of those. Um, but yet people really struggle to kind of go like 50 miles up the road. And I know it's a lesser, it's a lesser issue, probably say so down south, but people are maybe more used to it. It's still an um, issue. It's just, I think our mentalities on it are a bit different because we've never had, yeah. we don't have teams next to each other unless you're, even in London, they're not, you know, they're not that close together. They're close, but they're not that close. Yeah, um, yeah it's just like, it's that, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the stuff that, you know, if you were going to summarise kind of what we spoke about today, um, you know, it's that fixed mindset versus open mindset. And I think we've just got to be a little bit more open-minded to kind of opportunities. I say, you know, culturally, technology, whatever it might be, like there are different, you know, those barriers in a lot of places are lower to what it used to be. And we've just got to be open to it and kind of go, yeah, actually, do you know what? We're going to end up, with a bigger sport or we're going to, we want a bigger sport, but we're going to have to accept part of that. And that there's going to be, um, you know, something that's going to be lost. And it might be that little bit of, um, you know, club social or whatever it might like. There's, there's gotta be, there's gotta be, um, something that gives, um, you know, I know it's been mentioned a number of times previously, like just fixed times for games we've spoke about. Why can't we play on a Friday? Why can't we play on a Sunday? Why, you know, whatever it might, like it. There's got to be um, just ways to facilitate the game so that it's more accessible to somebody watching it who, you know, wants to go and watch a game of lacrosse. I mean, put things in perspective. Whereas obviously at Flags this weekend, I think it was like a couple of quid to park, and I think like an adult admission was like eight eight quid. So like you're looking at like ten pound, all in as a one off as well. As a one off, and people are like ten pound. I'm like, yeah, it's a tenner. Like ten pound. Like we well, get an all day lacrosse. You you parking all day. Try and park in Manchester City Centre for two pound all day. You're not going to do it. <laughs> you know, try try and pitch up at any other sport. You know, I went to watch Ultron versus Wrexham the other week. I paid twenty quid. Like, it's that was for you know a national league. And not even Premier League, and you think you think like you do that, and people kind of go, "Oh yeah, that's fine," or people happily pay that, you know, God knows how much on a night out. But to you know to to pay a little bit to watch a game of lacrosse, it's like all of a sudden it's like because we're used to just paying for nothing or getting it for free. Or I know I, I got a mate who works there or whatever or, or you know, plays. It's there. our little sport, isn't it? It's my it's my sport. Why am I paying? Why am I paying a tenner for it? But I go and yeah. buy a coffee for four pound fifty. Yeah, and so I think, you know, that that attitude to just being a little bit more open, like you know, putting things on a on a bit of a profile. You know, I I have a I have a vision, Joe. Uh, the probably a good point to finish. But like, I'd love to see you know, uh, uh, you know, I think do some great stuff at the moment, like Lacrosse Live UK and stuff like that. I have a vision of. That game being filmed from you know two three different angles, a bit like the fly, but you know it could be a tennis side game on a Saturday, it could be a, sh a showcase game on a Friday, and then them cutting to somebody on the sideline and just speaking into you know, t t talking to the coach, and then cutting to a player post game. And I know that's some of the stuff that they did with the fly last year, but then cutting to you know like they do on soccer Saturday now, they stand by the side of the pitch and they've got three people giving their insight. Like that's what our sport needs to 
to open doors to other people because actually it needs explaining a little bit. Yeah. But also that debate and that stuff that kind of goes on with it, which is why I think what you're doing with the pod is unreal. And I love it for for just opening maybe people's minds up a little bit. I appreciate that, my man. It's, it's always nice to hear. And like I said, it's it's good to have people on with different uh, different opinions, you know, different walks of life. We always hear the same um, same channels of communication within the sport. Well, we've got loads and loads of different people that play this sport that have all got some really good ideas. Like the one you just said, I'd love to see that. I'd absolutely love to see that. Um, I've always said it is a hard game to watch on TV. I don't actually think it's a decent... I wouldn't say decent. I don't think it's a very um, easy thing to watch unless you've got a bit of a trained eye. But the different angles, the explanations, the, the coach talks, the player, stuff like that, it makes it that bit more interesting. Um, and it, I agree with you. I definitely think it's a, a direction we need to be going. I mean, there's other sports that are on TV that are unbelievable. I, I can't watch ice hockey on TV. I, I just find it so too fast. It goes everywhere, right? It's yeah. like... And then like, you know, people... people I'm not a cricket aficionado. Like people watch test match cricket for five days. Like, you know, they listen to it on the radio. People watch it in America, watch baseball. That's just like slow. Like we've got a spectator sport. We just need to do, we've got, you know, we've, that's the hard bit. Yep. Like well, let's, let's find the way to actually make it more available to the masses. That is it for episode 36. Special thanks to Mike for coming on the show. I've loved having him on as a guest.